What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Aguirre. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different, complete guy, which is the guy who walked the walkways of San Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around. He was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... No, no, that's actually funny. That's, and it's funny. I'll tell you why. Gonna, that's a good one, Matt. Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm William Bugiro. And today we're going to be talking about a story of an experience that you had in prison, which is, I guess, dangerous would be an appropriate word, or was dangerous. Uh, right before that, I have a question from Liz in Billings, Montana. And she says... I've noticed that in a lot of states, they do the orange prison jumpsuit and sometimes they do the old timey striped horizontal striped prison jumpsuit. Which of those do you prefer or would you prefer? Which one is less demeaning, I guess? Well, a fashion question on death row diaries. Well, um, you know, I've only worn blue. And they only put us in orange when we go on a transportation to a hospital or to a different institution, uh, which he's probably referring to is county jails. County jails have jumpsuits and they have these orange ones or yellow ones or blue ones like they have in L.A. County. Orange County has these yellow mustard ones. But, I mean, I guess if I had to choose between orange and striped, I'd go with the striped. Might as well look like a prisoner instead of a freaking vegetable. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, not that big of a concern for guys on death row. We wear blue, we wear denim jeans, and a Cadbury shirt that's a button-down. And uh, that's pretty much what we have. That's, that's our choice right there. What brand are the jeans? Oh, well, they're prison-made. They're PIA, Prison Industry Authority. All of them, they look like freaking Levi's. You know what I mean? Like normal... Uh, was it Wangler or Wangler? You and I were kids. They had those, those kind of jeans. They're not very fancy. They're thick uh, material. And guys, you know, cut them. They channel them. They look like, you know, like pants. So, but they are pants. But they make them look like they're more like fashionable clothes. And they're baggy. They they, they have a they they go down to like a smaller cuff size. So yeah, they're people do all kinds of stuff with those pants. And you are allowed to have belts, right? Yeah, that's only in, like, if you're in a, in a security psychiatric ward because you're going to kill yourself or you're a mental case. Guys in prison, we have belts. We have shoestrings. We have belts. We have, Jesus, you name it, we can get it. All right. Learn something new every day. Please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Death Row Diaries. And make sure you tell a friend about the show. That really helps 
just spread the word is how we get most of our listenership, I think. And feel free to submit a question if you want Bill to answer it. And lastly, make sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. All right, on to the show. So take us back to when this happened. What year was it? Okay, so this is um, 1985-86. This is, I'm a very young man. I'm in the Orange County uh, Jail, but I'm in a, a unit for guys that have murder cases or convicts. And what that means is there's a huge difference between a regular prisoner inmate and a convict. The unit I was in were for guys that had been in prison for a very long time, had gone out and come back or were in prison and they were brought down to the county jail for some proceedings in court and they were in this unit. Uh, let me just say that this unit was uh, just as deadly as death row is now. All these guys were killers. All these guys were convicts and they're very serious about one thing and that's their reputation. That, that, that trumps everything in these type of units. Yeah, so there's a lot of, I guess, ego involved. And you are not, and we're not, a confrontational guy, but you do stand up for yourself. And from what I gathered from reading about this in your book, there was just this little micro-interaction. And you didn't start a fight, but you, you probably said something that you wish you didn't or you would have done it differently is that right well yeah now speaking as a guy who's been in prison for nearly 40 years and having the experience and the maturity level yeah i definitely would have handled it different to start with but at that time being a 20 to 21 year old kid in a unit with all these killers i just i had a hard time controlling my impulses and uh, as most kids do and this guy was a 28 to 30 year old killer. I mean, that's, that's the, the only thing, the only way you can describe him. You know, he, his, his, his physical appearance was bald haired, mustache, you know, Mexican gang member, tattoos on his body, very well developed physically from years on an iron pile. And the incident started because we were being taken to the hole. Him, his name was Trigger. His partner's name was Shotgun. And these guys were like Echo and Jekyll. If you saw one of them, the other one was very close by. They were complete partners in everything, crimes and everything. And them two, as well as myself and a guy named Chente, were being thrown in a hole for some incident that took place in the jail. And before we were let down into the hole, which is kind of a dungeon, it's underground, you have to go down these long stairs into a darkened room and they open the slide door and then they throw you in there. He and his partner were goofing around. They were just joking around about not really caring about the hole. It's no big deal. But I knew that once we left the hole because of the incident, we would be placed in ad segregation. What that means is you're always in chains. You don't leave the unit. You can't go to chow. Everything is in that cell. If you go to a visit, you're chained to a seat. You're, you have waist chains around your uh, your waist, your your ankles, your wrist. It's just a different type of program, and I wasn't very happy about it. 
so this guy's joking around and I focused on him and basically told him to shut the hell up that what was so funny and immediately the response I got was he focused on me and he said you're nobody but we're gonna find out who you really are when we get out of here and that's all that was said we weren't we're not the kind of guys that yell back and forth. We, he knew what time it was, and now I knew what time it was. And when we got up wherever we were going to be at, there was not going to be any talking. There was not going to be any, We knew that there would be a confrontation, a physical altercation between the two of us. And that was it. So he's kind of joking around and I guess just being kind of annoying, and you're in this kind of high stress situation so did you just kind of snap and like what was he talking about that made you tell him to shut the hell up well he was joking around with this guy like i don't care and it's just the whole 10 days what who gives a damn and, and he was joking around about it and i just didn't really want to hear it i was no mood now hindsight is twenty twenty. i should have just kept my mouth and not said anything but i knew him i mean he and i were sellies at, at that time and i knew who he was and and he and I had talked on numerous occasions, and he has seen me in action. I've seen him in action as well. So we knew who each other. I just, at that moment, didn't want to hear it. And I was fed up, and I just told him that basically, I use much more colorful language, but I just told him basically, shut the hell up. So now you know, as soon as you say this to him, unequivocally, you immediately realize that there's going to be a fight or he's going to try to kill you. Is that right? Absolutely. Because in, in those types of situations, you just don't fight or you just don't, you know, it, it doesn't happen that way. These are the elite. These are guys that are destined to become made members of the mob. These guys don't let those things go. So I knew what was coming. But at that moment, when you're angry, you tend to do things that sometimes just come out your, they just come out of your mouth because you're upset. So I knew what was going on. After the ten days we did in the hole, when those ten days were up, we would be moved to ad segregation, which is administrative segregation. And I knew then that he would try and kill me. Let me call back. So I'm assuming there's no option like what might happen in a more normal circumstance where you said to him hey i'm sorry i'm having a bad day we're all having a bad day we're getting sent to the hole here and uh i shouldn't have said what i said yeah that wouldn't have worked because he would think it's a ploy you see in prison's about positioning so the most natural way to put his guard down is for me to say, look, I'm, I'm really sorry about this situation. And believe me, I thought about it. When I was in the hole for those 10 days, I was thinking maybe I should just talk to this guy. And I dismissed it. I knew what would happen. He would say, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, look, I understand, no problem. But in his mind, he's thinking that I'm setting him up. And then I'm thinking the same thing because his job at that point, and this is a different type of state of mind. Remember, we're dealing with killers, convicts, criminals, soldiers, Guys who live on their reputation and respect, and I disrespected him. So I, he would wait for, for me to relax, and once I relaxed, he'd try and kill me. So I knew I dismissed that immediately. 
And I also wondered, did he have hacksaw blades? Because the incident we were in the hole with, he had he had blades. So I was wondering if he still had them. So of course, this is going through my mind for ten days till we're finally let out of the hole. So why were you down there in the first place? What what happened to get you sent there? Well, there was an incident in the county jail where it happened a month prior to that, and both his team, his two, uh, his partner, shotgun himself, as well as the guy that was taken down there with his chant and myself, were implicated in something that happened a month prior to that. It, it was a security issue, and um, you know they didn't charge us or anything like that, but somebody said that we were involved, so therefore. We were thrown. We we're going to be thrown in the hole. But more than that, we we're going to be thrown in ads irrigation. Our, our housing unit would change. In coming jail situations, if you get in a fight or a problem, you go to the hole for ten days and you come right back out. In this situation. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We would go to the hole and then be placed in administrative segregation, which was an entirely different program. So you're walking down like a stairwell into essentially a basement. Do I have that right? Exactly what it is. Yes. So what does it smell like? Is it is it brightly lit? What's the feel of of the hole? Yeah, it's, it's a sticky feeling. The air is stale down there. There's other men down there. Some of them bang all night. Some of them just are quiet. But it's, it's dark. It's hot. They call it the hot box. Because once they throw you in, there's no ventilation down there. You shower twice a week. You never leave your cell. You're fed in your cell. And it's always 85, 90 degrees down there. At, at 2 in the morning, they come and they take your mattress so you can lay down and they keep it all the way till 6 o'clock the following day. They give you back your mattress then. You're able to sleep on the rest of You stand up or walk around. The For, for breakfast is a normal breakfast, dinner is a normal dinner, but at lunchtime all they give you is onion soup. So it's they can put you on a pretty restricted diet. They don't want guys working out, doing all kinds of stuff down there. So it's a gloomy place. I mean, it's a place where you really start thinking about things carefully and the only thing on my mind at that time was Trigger and what he'd do or try to do to me. Onion soup, that's so strange. Is the is the 10 days, is that the most time you've ever done in the hole? No, I've, I spent in nearly, in San Quentin prison, I spent nearly a year in the hole when I first got here. So, yeah, I mean, when you're in that state of mind, believe me when I tell you that you're not thinking the hole's not that big of a deal, but you know there are other things on my mind. I mean, I had a girlfriend; I didn't want to not see her. There's a lot of things that play in your mind, but when you're angry, you just say things and you respond because anger is taking over. And of course, I'm then suffering the consequences for those actions. So you know now there's going to be this inevitable confrontation 
I remember having that feeling like in school, you know, like you get the word, oh, this guy wants to beat you up and you're just, you know, brooding on it. And it's, it's not a good feeling. Um, but you know, obviously you're safe as long as you're down in the hole, but is the, the situation is going to arise once you get out. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's similar to that, that you know someone's going to come beat you up. The difference is this guy's coming to kill you. So the stakes are high, but yeah, when you're a kid, you kind of feel like you're, you're worried about it, you're looking at the clock, what time is recess, what time is after school, all these things, similar. So at the end of 10 days, staff or guards come and they chain us up. They chain us with waist chains, they put handcuff chains on, they put a chain that goes all the way from your from your wrist to your ankles, and you're basically scuffling around because you have ankle chains on too, and we're led to add segregation. And we enter into this large vestibule, and right there, I have both trigger, shotgun sitting in, standing in front of me, and Chanty and I are standing on the other side. And I'm wondering if they uncuff un- 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 them, because they, they have to uncuff them so they can go down to one of the to one of the cells. They're one-man cells. They're very small, about four and a half feet by, by nine feet. They're pretty small. And, um, you know, I'm wondering, and I know he's wondering that if they uncuff me first, will I attack him? Because I'm giving a chance. They call my name first, and they call Silva, who is Chente, and says, they told them 29-9, 29-10. Those are the cells, nine and 10. And they uncuff us first. As soon as they uncuff us, shotgun and trigger immediately tense up because they think that I'm coming for them. But nothing like that happens. I just walk down the stairwell into tank 29 and I go into the cell. But as I'm walking down the cell, I know all these guys. All these guys are made guys. These guys are all dudes from the mafia, from you know different gangs. And I know who these guys are. They're, they're, they're giving me their... their salutations like hey hey because you know i was known as either sinbad or mad bill hey what's going on man how you doing and that's all good i'm not going to show any weakness this is no big deal this is a stroll in the park this is all this is so as i get close to my cell i look in it and i see the cell right before mine which is cell eight and the guy in it is a guy named mountain man i've known him for about a year and a half and he's this monster of a guy he's like six four and a half 275 pounds. Uh, he looks like what the brawny guy should look like. He's a lumberjack. He's got these piercing blue, ice blue eyes. And he's like, hey, old son, how you doing? Everything's good. He goes, hey, I'm going to get out in a few minutes and I'll talk to you. Meanwhile, the door closes and of course, I'm wondering, okay, where are they going to put these other guys at? If they're on the same tier, I mean, the same level with me, there's a chance that he and I would interact. If he's upstairs, meaning in tank 30, and believe me, he could just jump down, but if, if they're separated, then there's a possible, there's no chance that he and I will be going to a day room together or anything together because we would be separated because of different things. So I get in the cell, dirty cell, of course, and um, the door next door opens and Olaf comes out. And he's immediately concerned. Hey, why are you here, man? I'm like, hey, man, they didn't give you a write-up. So I kind of ran down to him what happened. And he says, look, I'll bring some stuff to clean your cell. I'll be back. So he leaves. And it's 
deathly quiet. These guys don't talk loud. They don't yell. They, this is a tank for guys who have been around. So Ivan comes back about half an hour later and he says, hey, here's some bleach, some disinfectants. Here's a mop and a broom. Go ahead and clean the cell. Do what you do. And that's what I set out to do. I began to clean the cell because I always clean the cell I'm in. Not because only because I hate dirty cells, but because people hide things in those cells. Knives, money, drugs, whatever. And I, of course, I don't want to get caught with that stuff. So if it's there, I flush it or do whatever I'm going to do with it. So once I'm done cleaning, he comes back down, meaning Olaf, and he says, hey, man, um, what's up with the guy that came with you? I said, what do you mean? He goes, they put them up in tank 30, right above, they're in cell three and four. The guy, Trigger, he just sent a note to Boxer. Now, Boxer is the leading guy down there. He is the shot caller for the Mexicans. He is the, the made guy. This guy is, you know, uh, a captain of a crew. And I said, so what, what happened? Because well, I don't know what the note said, but that dude triggers up there right now and he's cutting a piece from his towel rack. He says, what's going on with that? So I told him what happened. He said, all right, all right go ahead and clean yourself, man, I'm gone. So he takes off and I go back to cleaning myself. But I'm, I'm already thinking, okay, this guy, we know what's going on. He never expected Olaf to tell me what was going on, but now I know. So I also know that he has written a note to Boxer and told him the situation and asked him what's called a green light. What that means is that he has a green light to kill me. Okay, that's exactly what it means. And once he got that green light, he already had, he already had hacksaw blades, so now he's cutting a knife out of a, out of a towel rack, which is a, a piece of steel of a galvanized steel about 13 inches long by about four and a half inches uh, wide and about an eighth of an inch thick. So he's cutting it from there, which makes a damn good knife. I have a few questions. Is this something he needs to do immediately or can he kind of take his time? Like, would this need to be done with immediacy, like as part of his uh, status, you know, to show how serious he is? Or do you just maybe you're thinking it's going to happen when you're not expecting it. Secondly, and this is probably what everyone's wondering, why is it considered normal that he needs to kill you over a very minor incident? <laughs> well, to them, it's, it's, it's neither here nor there. He st I stepped on his shoes. It was an act of disrespect. If you steal a penny from him or a million dollars, it's the act. It's the the action that he, that I've taken against him. So in, in prison, it doesn't matter the, the value of what you took. If you take something from me, which is it's a, a shoelace, a, a crumb that I left on my tray, or a million dollars, it's the same thing. So but the difference is that there were two other people standing right there watching the whole incident when he said, Oh, we're going to see what you're all about, or we're going to see if you, if who really you are. So he said it in front of his partner, and he said it in front of another guy named Chente, who is listen, and Chente's from a different crew. So if he, well, that's what they, they call it in prison, you pee on yourself, and then you wet your pants, you don't do what you're supposed to do, all these guys are going to tell everybody else, oh, this guy's weak. He said he was going to do something, and he chickened out. Or, in other words, he bitched up. 
That is a huge problem in prison. So that's why. But he had to go through protocols. He can't just act in a situation like that because he has to get a green light from a guy who's in charge. In gangs, that's what they do. Because if he doesn't, if he just acts against me, he doesn't know my political power. Now, let's say that he doesn't know that there's another main guy there, and that guy has more power than the guy that's supposedly his, his friend or his associate. Now he's just crossed the line that he was supposed to begin with. And if he doesn't get authorization, the big problem is that if something else is going on and he ruins it, so the guys are going to get a visit and they're going to get... I don't know, whatever, information, whatever it is they want to get. And that, if his actions screw that up, now he's in the hat. Now they'll kill him because he ruined the situation that he knew no idea what was going on. But because he didn't get authorization, he blew it. That's why he immediately sent a note to this guy. And when he received the green light, like, hey, go ahead, take care of it, he began making his peace immediately. So are you thinking this is more likely to happen when you're outside of your cell, which is what I would think, or are you concerned with actually your safety inside the cell? Well, that's a great question, but so I know it's not going to happen when I'm outside my cell because um, the top tier and they never let guys out of their cell more than one at a time because we're in the hole. We're all dangerous unless you happen to be in that guy's day room group. But he's on a different tier, so he's not going to be in my... So I know it's not going to happen on the tier. So, remember, I, I know these things are taking place. I know this is coming to a head. I just have to figure out what he's going to do. So, of course, Olaf knows everything about this place. He's one of those guys that watches everything. I learned actually a lot from Olaf. And he comes downstairs and he says, Hey, uh, can you clean the cell? And he gets done. And he says, Did you find her? Find what? And he smiles at me. And I know this guy. This guy always has these little... He loves people to ask him questions because he has the answer. He's just one of those guys. And I said, look, I'm not going to find it. It's here. I know it is, but I've searched. It's not. I, I can't find it. Where is it? And he smiles. And he hands me a pair of combs, small combs. And all the teeth are missing and they're bent into an L shape. And he hands them to me. And he looks up, and I says, okay, so what do I just like? Just be calm. Put those two handles of the combs inside the slot where the, the door runs. The doors are these sliding doors. So I did, he says, you'll hear it click. And of course, it clicked. He said, now don't, you know, yank it out because it falls on the ground and all these dummies are going to know what's going on. Just make it peek. When you see her tip, put your finger up there and pull her out. So I do so, and lo and behold, five seconds later, I'm holding a nine-and-a-half-inch steel bone crusher knife in my hand, and he's smiling at me. And I know he loves his work, and I say, yeah, because she's beautiful. He's very wicked, uh, Olaf. Uh, so what's the deal? He says, man, if you need her, use her. Take care of your business. Why is he doing you this favor? I mean, he's kind of implicating himself, right? Yeah, uh, Olaf and I have had a history. We get along. He's known me a couple couple years almost. I've been that kind of that long. And he's always been straight with me. He's one of those guys that never played that racial game with me. 
and we always got along. We had similar, you know, um, interests, hunting, fishing. We talked about those things. I've known him, as I said, for a long time. He wanted to help me out. And, I mean, look at this. It has, this knife has bloodlines. It has, and let me explain. The reason he has bloodlines is because prison-made shanks are made to stab, not to cut. So when you stab something with these things, the body that's being stabbed contracts. And sometimes it contracts so hard you cannot pull the knife back out. This knife is made to puncture and take out, puncture and take out, basically to kill you and hit you in the most vital organs. It was sharp enough to cut paper. It was a beautiful instrument. But I have never used a knife in a fight. And I wasn't going to start. It's just not who I am. I'm much more comfortable using my hands and my feet. It's what I was trying to do. So I told him thank you, and I put her back. And yes, he refers to her as her, because he referred to his, his knives as baby dolls, and he had names for them. Yeah, I know what you guys are thinking. But this guy's a serious guy, and I wasn't going to laugh about this. I just thought, okay. So then he tells me, okay, here's some more information for you. He just got the green light to become the tear tender. So from 6 o'clock at night till 11 o'clock at night, he's going to be out on these tears like me. So I thought, okay, that's a new one. Now I know that he's coming after me. He's gotten that job for a reason. He hasn't been there even 18 hours or 10 hours, and he's already done the green light. He's making a knife, and now he's a tear tender. He's on the tear for the Mexicans. So Ivan asked me, well, have you figured out how he's going to get you? My reply was, I have no clue. He says, well, let me give you a little bit of information. It's going to come in two ways. He's either going to dump oil on your kerosene and light you on fire, or he's going to get a spear, and he's going to spear you to your neck and try to kill you by stabbing you. And he said, well, my bet is on the stabbing. Mexicans like to get very personal and stab you to death. The oil is tricky. He won't be able to rig it correctly because he's a dumb motherfucker. So he's not going to light you on fire. And I said, well, are you sure? That's, and he's like, hey, doesn't sound very good, does it? Getting lit on fire? And he started laughing. This, this stuff is like a, kind of like a joke to these guys because these guys are all warriors. So I guess if you describe your cell, he wouldn't be able to reach in necessarily and stab you, or maybe he could, but I guess with the spear, there's really nowhere for you to hide, right? Pretty much. I mean, he could, if he was smart and he got close to me, he could grab me around the collar and shove me into the bars and just stab me repeatedly. He could try that. But I'm sure he didn't want to do that because my strength would be an issue. And so I figured he was going to try and stab me. And it would happen rather quickly. These gangs are not patient. If you say you're going to do something and more than 48 hours go by and you haven't done it, they start questioning your manhood and they're looking for weaknesses in you. So I knew it was coming. So I figured, okay, I'm going to prepare myself for it. And this is a lot to take in. To, to sit in a cell in a, in a darkened area with all these killers, or all of them are older than you. I was the youngest guy there. I was 20 or 21. All these guys are 25, I mean 28, 29, 30, 40 years old, 50 years old. These guys have all been in the system for many decades. And when you know that someone is planning to murder you, I'm not talking about someone beating you up or 
they're actually coming to kill you. That's a huge burden or weight on your chest and back. And I don't know, as a as a, a kid, because I was a kid, that I actually fathom it completely, understand the gravity. I mean, I was obviously afraid. There's no doubt. If anybody says they're not afraid in a situation like that, they're lying to you or they're sociopaths. I was afraid for my life. But I also knew that I, I would not back down. Now, look, I know that you're thinking this. I know the audience is thinking this. Hey, come on, Bill. The logical thing to do in this circumstances is go to the front, tell the police that I can't be here, they're trying to kill me. Yeah, I get that. That wasn't gonna happen. I'm not I'm not locking it up, I'm not chickening out. I put myself in that situation, I would deal with it. Now I know that's not very mature, but at that time, that's how I was thinking. So I don't understand logistically how is he going to be able to get the opportunity to do this isn't he supervised when he's i'm assuming it's that he's going to be walking past your cell or how does that work i mean he can't just roam around the prison right no it's yeah well there's two floors tank 13 and tank um 29 and yes he basically roams around that whole part of of that section and the guards will open his door so he can come out and clean he he mops he, he he sweeps he passes, you know, shampoo to somebody, whatever it may be. Um, but the police officer opens his door and he just walks away. He closes the door and he walks a different part of the unit. He's not standing there watching this guy. He'd be out there for seven or eight hours. It's just not going to work. So that's where his opportunity is going to come, and I know it. But he does what I felt he was going to do. After doing all of these things, he comes down to my cell when he comes out to do his job, and he says, listen, man, Look, uh, we had some words the other day. Look, it got out of control. Let's just squash this whole thing. Let you and I just, you know, be like we used to be, man. It's all good. I said, yeah, man, look, I appreciate that. Right on. I knew he was lying. I knew exactly what he was doing. He was trying to get my guard down so he could do what he's going to do. So, you know, I'm in a heightened state of awareness. I'm watching this guy. And, of course, it happens two days later. I am... Standing at my bars, I have my arm hanging. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Standing at the bars, it's about 8.30 at night, and he, I'm dangling that arm so he can see it, and he walks by, and he says, hey, all right, man, and he just and he keeps mopping and doing his thing, and then he leaves. He goes into the mop room where he snaps the handle of the mop at the closest part to the mop, so he has a stick maybe four and a half feet long. And at the end of it, he secures about an eight, eight inch knife made out of steel he just cut and sharpened upstairs. And he has it there. And as I say, the lights are turned off, it's very hard to see people, but I'm, I want this to happen. I'm tired of waiting. If it's gonna happen, come with it. So he comes back by, he puts some disinfectant in the mop uh, bucket, and I notice that he doesn't, he doesn't have the mop with him. So he disappears again. This time, he goes and grabs the mop and starts sneaking towards me. And as he comes in line on my cell, he pulls out, because he's holding the stick really close to his body so no one can see it, he pulls it up, and just as he gets in line with my cell, he shoves the harpoon 
through the bars trying to hit me right in the, in the heart, in the chest. And I roll my shoulder to the left, and the knife sticks into my right shoulder. And it goes so deep in that it hits the bone, and immediately my arm, like, goes dead. But he has stabbed me. Now he's yanked the, the harpoon out of me, and he tries to slam it into my stomach this time. And this time I just kind of roll completely away from it, and he misses. Of course, you know, he's now feeling really good about himself, and he's talking to telling me, yes, you're not running nothing. You're going to die here. This is just the beginning. He's talking. So, of course, I'm assessing the damage. I'm, I pull down my, my jump shot. I look at my arm, and, of course, there's a hole that I'm bleeding. A lot of blood's coming out of me. So I put a towel in my and he, and he leaves. He goes and puts that thing away because he's done what he's going to do that day. At that moment, he, he, you can hear keys coming. So that means the, the officer is coming to check his doors. So I go to the back of the cell, so you can't see, he walks, and he looks at every cell, because he's walking from a, in between a partition of plexiglass, and he can look into our cells. So I go towards the back, and I pretend I'm washing my face, and he keeps walking. He gets to the control panel, he hits the controls and makes sure everything's locked, except for the the, uh, the sweeper or the, the tear tender, who he is, and he leaves again. So Trick, everybody now knows what's going on, everybody's listening. Trigger comes back down the stairs and comes in front of my cell. He's standing probably about four feet in front of my cell. And he has the broom in his hand. And now he's telling me, how's that feel, man? You have nobody. You're nobody. You don't have anybody. And we're going to finish this here. So by that time, I've already I've taken my jumpsuit and I pulled it down. And I have no shirt on. And I walk up to the door. And I tell to the cell bars, and I tell them, yeah, that sounds real good. But you and I both know that if this door wasn't here, you wouldn't be talking all that. He said, yeah, 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 man. We'll see. Talk is cheap. And I said, why not find out now? Why not find out now? That's when I grabbed the door. What the audience doesn't know is that prior to that, Olaf had given me a domino, a little domino, and he shaved it down to about an eighth of an inch. And when I went to the shower that day, I had stuck that in my door. So when the door closed, it looked like in the, in the control panel, the doors closed, but the locking me- mechanism was not in place. These are things that only, and these are things that only Olaf knows. And he's just giving me the upper hand. So I grabbed the door with my left hand and my right hand, and I yank it, and the door opens. And I come out of that cell like a bull. Let me call back. So he's obviously got to be pretty shocked when you storm out of the cell, right? Oh, my God. You, I would have paid money just to see the look on his face when I came to that door. Oh, it was great. His eyes got as big as saucers. And when I was coming at him, he swung the broom trying to hit me, but I was already inside his guard. And I punched him in his throat, grabbed him by the head, and elbowed him in the face, and broke his cheekbone. Then I picked him up and body slammed him in the concrete and then just started beating him. When I knocked him out, I immediately grabbed him by the collar. I dragged him into the, uh, next to the, the prison, uh, the cells next to it. And then I squatted down and waited for him to come out of his con- unconsciousness. When he woke up, I smiled at him and said, want to try again? Because now I was completely 
in a state of mind of fight. There was no flight, there was fight. So he looks at me and he's stunned. He doesn't know what's going on. And he struggles to his feet and he begins to walk along the bars of the cells towards the front to cell two where Boxer's at, his coup captain. He gets in front of his cell and Boxer gives him a call. I'm following him. And he wipes his face from the blood he has on it. And I told him, and I told Boxer, don't send one of your kids to do a man's job. Now, I should not have, again, I should not have said that. I didn't care at that point. So Trigger turns to me and spits a lot of blood at me. And I immediately move in again. Within 30, uh, 10 seconds, he is a heap in the floor. Now, I have him by the collar. But what am I supposed to do? I'm not willing to kill this guy. I'm not willing to, I'm not willing to take this to a different level. But at that moment, Boxer says, Gastuvo, which means stop in Spanish. So I looked at him and I said, you greenlighted this. Now he's going to suffer the consequences. He says, yeah, yeah, I know. But look, man, it's over. Let it go. Yeah, he was right. I mean, what am I going to do? Kill the guy? I wasn't willing to do that. I was defending myself, which I always will do. So I, I, I left him there, knocked out. I walked back to my cell and stepped in. And now when, the, when I could hear the keys coming like 10 minutes later, my door automatically, when they key it, it closes. And then I look at the plexiglass and I can see Trigger climbing up the stairs and going into his cell. He's all busted up and everything. I had accomplished my goal. Everybody knew it, but you can't understand what I just did. I just embarrassed a crew member and his captain. So now I'm in a state of hyper vigilance. I think they're all going to come kill me. This is, remember, I'm a 20-year-old boy in a module with murderers and killers who have done it several times. And this also, of course, leads to part two of this episode, which is what, not really part two, it's the next story, which comes from the consequences of this situation because of what I did come out of that cell using that domino. But these are the type of things that happen in, in real jails and real prisons where real things happen. This is not a rapper's story or a housewife of New York that goes to jail for a year and then writes a book about it and they're laying by lakes and making spaghetti. This is not that kind of place. These are the places where men are broken or made. These are the type of places that you suffer the consequences of your actions for committing criminal acts. So, for those people that think, well, you know, I'm going to be a rapper, I'm going to give myself a jacket, and, you know, or I'm going to pick up a jacket for being a tough guy, I'm going to go to jail. You're not going to go to jail. You're going to go to a protective custody unit where you're going to be locked by yourself and no one's going to do anything to you. If you step into a jail or prison like I've been on, on a yard like I've been, you're going to die. Think about things before you do them. That's why we're, Matt and I are doing this. We're talking about things that I can tell you about because these guys aren't playing games. These guys are out to kill you. Did you have any pain from the wound on your... You got stabbed in the shoulder with this long blade. I mean, if he hit you in the heart, do you think you would have survived? I'd probably be dead. 
but of course that same day it didn't hurt my adrenaline was pumping i felt no pain the next day of course when i woke up i tried to lift my arm up it was dead uh it hit tendons he had cut tendons he had slammed into the bone there was chips in my in my shoulder and he did a lot of damage i just didn't feel at the time because i had rage taking me to a different level but yeah for the next few weeks the pain was very high it was a lot of pain and there's also the, the fact that i think okay i just beat this guy up so i gotta face his partner and his other partner and the rest of their crew and i was also going to a day room with a bunch of made guys too were there were there loyalties with him or, or did they admire what i had done these are polit- political questions that happen in, in that kind of setting that are huge politics play a huge part in who survives and who dies in prison did the guards get wind of this they must have seen a bunch of blood so he didn't suffer any he didn't suffer any repercussions for this no no one knew what happened i mean it was he was he didn't he wasn't a snitch he wasn't gonna tell him i wasn't gonna say anything i mean i covered the thing up and he didn't come out of his cell for a few days and obviously after that happened he was never let out of the room again his crew called it now don't let him out there let somebody else out there and i never had to cross his path again but that doesn't mean that they weren't coming after me. They could have sent somebody else, so my guard would be down. So I was constantly in a state of vigilance. I didn't know who was coming. Um, I had a reputation in prison, in jail, in wherever. Um, and I had some people you consider friends. But I was not a gang member, so I don't have the kind of loyalty from those guys that that guy would have had. So, yeah, it's, it's a serious situation right there. What did it feel like when the blade stabbed you? Is this a blade like, I know you said it's made out of a towel rack, but is this similar to something you would buy at a Walmart or is it more crude? Okay, so this is the best example I can give you. Do you know when you see a chain ring fence at the very end of the fence next to the pole, there's this galvanized like piece of steel that goes all the way from the top to the bottom and runs, it kind of, everything clamps onto it. It's about an eighth of an inch thick. It's about maybe, I don't know, an inch wide. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. That's what it looked like. He had cut it about eight and a half inches and he sharpened it to a razor's edge on both sides. That's what it looked like. So it penetrates you, right? pretty much as soon as it makes contact it's cutting into you oh it went it went directly into me like i didn't feel pain when it hit me it was just a numbing sensation that my arm went dead because it hit bone and immediately the nerves or whatever it was just it moved it's like a shock treatment you know you, you get a you hit your funny bone and, and you, your arm just goes dead that's what it felt like but pain i didn't feel any pain my adrenaline was pumping so high and I was so enraged and so angry um, but of course the, the following day and the days after that I, yeah a lot of pain it felt like it was it, it got infected there's a lot of things going on there I tried to get like bio biotin or whatever it's called they, they give you I said I had a sore knee um, but I didn't want to go to the doctor and if they saw that of course um, that would be a huge issue so I didn't say anything. I just kept bringing, let me, 
if I got like uh, grapefruit in in, uh, in the breakfast, I'd put grapefruit on it so the um, the acid that thing would would kill the germs. And very crude stuff, very primitive stuff, but. Luckily, I didn't have an infection. I didn't um, suffer any more consequences because of that stab wound. Is the spear thing common? Like, do you know of other incidents involving a spear, or did he kind of just improvise that? No, no, I've seen a lot of guys. I, actually, I've seen more guys that were in a cell make a spear, wait for somebody to walk by for a shower, then they spear them. So most of the time, the spear is inside the cell. They make it out of newspaper. They they tighten newspaper really thin. They roll into a little roll. They keep rolling, rolling, rolling. So it becomes like a tube, very tightly woven, and it looks it feels almost like a regular wooden spear. At the end of it, they put a large uh, knife, and they wait for they walk for their intended victim to walk by their cell. And they say, "Hey, come here for a second. And they turn. Wham! They slam it into the chest and kills them. I've, it's happened a number of times I've seen, and guys have been mortally and, in some cases, almost killed because of it. Well, we'll get into what happens next on our next episode, so we'll leave it there for now. Thank you for listening. I've been Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nagara. Please be aware of your surroundings. It's more than likely your life could depend on it. Have a good night.